Welcome, and thank you for listening to Sandy Creek Stirrings. I'm your host, Joshua Jimenez. And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. The Bible says in Psalm 84, 11, my last verse, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I based my whole life on that, that it pays to serve God, and I believe that with all my heart. God has given us a guidebook. God has given us a directional map. And that guidebook, that map, is the precious Word of God. Listen, don't just go and sit in the pew. Find some way to serve and serve as a family. Be a part of everything at church. And when you learn to love what God loves, um, your children will learn to love it as well. Homes are not that spiritually strong. We're getting overtaken by the world quickly, but unfortunately, we're pumping all the sewage in. You know, we're letting the world in when that ought to be a haven. Here we are, Once Saved, Always Saved, Part 2. And we are here finishing up an episode that we started just this past episode, and we finished up the first portion of that on Once Saved, Always Saved. Can you lose your salvation? What does God, what does the Bible have to say on the subject? And so we talked about last week why it is impossible, biblically, to say that you can lose your salvation. You can have your opinion if you want. You can have your idea if you want. It just means you're not right. You're wrong, and you don't have the truth. You say, that's kind of harsh. Go back and listen to the last episode, and I believe that if you believe the Bible, you'll agree with me. And so last episode, the very last one, Once Saved, Always Saved, Part 1, we gave so many Bible verses, and not even all of them. I mean, we could give more and more and more and more, but we gave so many Bible verses on why you cannot, why it is impossible, biblically impossible, for you to lose your salvation. Then at the end of this past episode, we asked, what's really the big deal? Now, what does this topic really matter? Is it really that important? And then two, what about the Bible verses that some of these people use to try and say you can lose your salvation? How do we answer those? How do we go through and and say, well, you know, that's not true, and how do we answer those? And so we're going to do that in today's episode. Let me encourage you, if you have a question on this topic or maybe a question similar to this one, like one of our listeners sent in, that's how this episode came about, was a question from our listener. If you have a question, let me encourage you to send it in. You can send that in. Email me, joshua at Sandy Creek Stirrings. Dot com. Again, that's Joshua at SandyCreekStirrings.com, and I would love to hear from you. We'll record an episode just like this to answer the questions that you send in. By the way, there are other people, I'm sure, who have questions just like yours and would love to hear the answer. So let me encourage you to send that in. Again, that was Joshua at SandyCreekStirrings.com. Also, you can go to our Facebook page, and you can message us through Facebook. And so this past episode, episode number 180, we spent time answering the question of can you lose your salvation and gave so many Bible verses. If you did not listen to that episode, 
let me encourage you to go back and listen to it. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. You are going to want to listen to that episode to really give you a foundation for what we're going to talk about today. So today, in the very beginning, we're just going to kind of jump right into the episode. I don't know how long this episode will be. It might be kind of short. We'll find out. And um, we're going to talk about what I call trump card versus for the non-eternal security crowd. And um, these are cards that they'll play and say, ha, beat that one. And uh, notice what this verse says. And in my research, I have found three passages that are used most commonly. Now, there's some others. But honestly, I don't have time to answer every single passage that people are going to rip out of context, rip out a line upon line, rip out of a precept upon precept. Uh, I don't have time for every single thing they're going to say because most of them are just plain, can I just say it outright, most of them are just plain stupid. Um, you read it and you're like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in all my life. But there are three that I see most commonly used, and we're going to do our best to answer those three today. The first one I find is, number one, is the non-eternal security crowd. They'd say you could lose your salvation. They would say, well, number one, what about Galatians 5.4? For those of you who don't have a Bible in front of you, Galatians chapter 5, verse 4 says, Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. And notice they say, well, you know what? Look at there. It says that you're fallen from grace because you sinned. Christ is no effect of you. You have fallen from grace. You have fallen from your salvation, and you have lost your salvation. Interesting enough, right off the bat, the very last verse we quoted in the last episode, Jude 24, which says, Now unto him, speaking of Christ, that is able to keep you from falling. Okay, they just totally contradicted that verse. But they will use this one to try and say, you can lose your salvation. That means you can lose your salvation, right? Wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Every time somebody brings up a passage of Scripture, and they want to say, well, look at here what it says, they'll typically read the verse, but they won't read it in context. You say, what's context? Context is reading to understand the subject of what is talked about in that passage. Sometimes if you read one verse ahead, two verses ahead, three verses ahead, four verses ahead, or three or four verses after, you'll understand the context, the subject of what's being talked about. You can't just pull one verse out and say, hey, there we go, that's the answer. I mean, we could pull out and Judas went out and hanged himself and say, well, we should all hang ourselves. No, you just rip the verse totally out of context. And so we must go back, anytime somebody presents a verse like this, and read it in context. I tell people, you have a passage that you're having a difficult time understanding. Before asking somebody, just go back and read it in context. And a lot of times that can answer your question. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read Galatians 5. We're going to read verses 3 through 6. Now, they pick on verse 4, but let's read 3, 4, 5, and 6, all right? So verse 3 says, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ, verse 4, and Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Verse 5 says, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Listen to verse 6. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which, work, which worketh by love. So what is Paul talking about? Really, what he's talking about in Galatians chapter 5 is salvation by works, 
versus salvation by grace. The subject is there were some in this church who were teaching that you had to be circumcised, you had to obey the law to go to heaven. By the way, this was a big subject of debate in the book of Acts between some of these early churches. And Paul says in verse number 6, he says that, notice what it said, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith, which worketh by love. Paul is saying in verse 6 that circumcision does nothing for you. Yeah, it was part of the law, but it does nothing for you. Only faith is what allows us to be saved. In verse 4, Paul says this, and I'll quote, kind of paraphrase basically what he's saying. Here's what Paul is saying in verse number 4. He says, if you want to say that you need circumcision to get saved, you are making the gift of Christ of no effect. If you are justified by the law, then you then you have chosen the law instead of grace. Grace through faith is the only way for salvation. Because here's what happens. When you decide to follow the law and say, well, we have to obey the law to be saved. And just like some people back in the, in the New Testament times, in these early times, were saying, you have to be circumcised to be saved. You have to obey the law. What have you done when you say that? Well, you have denied grace. You've said, no, 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 salvation is not of grace, it's by works, it's by following the law. And remember, in Romans chapter 11, we read it last week, where Paul was so clear when he said that if you pick works, then it's salvation by works and it's no more grace. But if you pick grace, it's got to be by grace, not of works. Otherwise, there's no more grace. They're conflicting. Romans chapter 11, verse 6 again says, and if I grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then there is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Saying they're polar opposites. They do not work together. They're completely opposite of what they do. If it's salvation by works, what have you done? You have fallen from grace. You've denied grace. You've denied faith, which worketh by love. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. So what is Paul saying? Go back to Galatians 5, 4. What we've learned, this verse has nothing to do with losing our salvation, but everything to do with law versus grace. So go back to verse 4, and it's very apparent what it says. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Why? Because they're taking the gift of Christ and saying that grace gift that God gives us, nah, it's by works. Well, your Christ is of no effect to you then. Whosoever of you are justified by the law. If you think you're justified by the law, finish the verse, ye are fallen from grace. If you think you're justified by the law, then you can't have grace because they're totally opposite from one another. This verse is not talking about losing your salvation in any way. It's just simply talking about the difference between being saved by works and being saved by grace. That's the easy answer, and hopefully one that makes sense to you. Number two, when people who believe you'll lose your salvation, they believe, they bring up topics, they bring up Bible passages. The second one they might say is, well, Josh, what about 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. I'll read them to you again. It says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetousness, or covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. They would say, well, you've been saved, but, you know, notice what it says. Be not deceived, and neither fornicators. If you commit fornication after you get saved, it says you won't inherit the kingdom of God, so you're going to go to hell. You lost your salvation. 
They say that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10 says. And this verse is used by so many that you cannot go to heaven if you commit these sins. And they would be right if, if, notice the big if, like I put it in my notes, all capital if with an explanation point. And if I could underline it, I would underline it multiple times. If, they would be right if they stopped reading there and this was the only verse in the Bible. They would be right. If that was the only verse in the Bible and that was it, yeah, they'd be right. But that's not all the Bible says. And that's not the only verse in the Bible. The fact is, the Bible isn't composed of only 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. And the matter of a fact, the reader should keep reading. Why? Something we just talked about a second ago for context. And if you keep reading, the objection that some people bring up in this verse to one saved, always saved, is answered in the very next verse. Verse number 11. Notice what it says, 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 11. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Let me put it to you this way. Paul begins by addressing sin within the Corinthian church. I mean, that's what the book of 1 Corinthians is for. There was so much sin going on in this carnal church, Paul calls them, that Paul had to write them and tell them of this sin and how wicked it was. And here's what they were doing. They were using the grace by which they had been saved as an excuse to go out and do wrong. Well, we got saved by grace, and we're saved, we're going to heaven, so now we can just go out and live however we want. And Paul begins to attack that line of thinking. And he approaches this subject by saying in the first portion of chapter 6 that we have an inheritance to look forward to. And one part of that inheritance, he says in verse 2, I'm not going to read it for sake of time, but go back and look at it. Verse 2, he says that one of the parts of the inheritance we're going to receive from God is ruling and reigning with Christ. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Same passage, same subject, verse number 2. And then as he gets down, he's talking about this inheritance we're going to receive, uh, receive as being saved people. He then tells them a, a well-known fact, one that you know. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, this, this passage people bring up, he says, starting off the verse, he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? He tells them the well-known fact, the unrighteous will not have the same inheritance as the saved. Well, you know that. I know that. That's a very obvious thing to say. Yes, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. From Scripture, we clearly know that we are an unrighteous people. The Bible says that what we think is our righteousness is actually nothing more than filthy rags, Isaiah 64, verse 6. And when we stand before God, we stand before Him as unrighteous and unworthy of receiving His gift, His inheritance, and salvation of heaven and being like Him. We do not deserve it because we are unrighteous and we are unworthy. So Paul then, in verse 9, begins to go on and identify some of these unrighteous things that a naturally unrighteous person does. Well, what do naturally unrighteous person people do? They commit fornication, they're idolaters, they're adulterers, all the things that were listed there in verses 9. It was not uncommon, by the way, for Paul to give lists of specific sins that the unrighteous do. You'll see in uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, another list almost 
very, very similar. He gives another similar list in Romans chapter 1, verses 29 through 31. Could these sins keep someone out of heaven? Yes and no. You see, according to Scripture, we know that there is only one sin that, they, that can keep us out of heaven. That's found in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 29. And that passage, it clearly states that all sins, the word literally used there is all. All sins can be forgiven except one, which is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Put simply, the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the rejection of Jesus Christ as Savior of the world. This is, as clearly put in the passage in Mark chapter 3, 28 and 29, clearly put is the only sin that cannot be forgiven by the payment of Christ on the cross. So unrighteousness, as listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, condemns us to hell, right? We're condemned because we're unrighteous. But the rejection of Christ's gift, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, is the final, what you might say, nail in the coffin that condemns us there. Okay, now these sins listed, they do not condemn someone to hell, like the ones listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Not talking about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, talking about our context of what we've been looking at. These sins listed do not condemn someone to hell if they have accepted Christ as their Savior. How do I know that? From 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 11, we clearly see that some of the brethren, Paul is writing to the church, he says, and such were some of you. We clearly see that some of the brethren he, were, he was writing to used to be some of those identified by this list. They're used to, some of them used to be drunkards. Some of them used to be thieves. Some of them used to be adulterers. Some of them used to be et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, fill in the blank. They used to be, but what changed? Notice what it says in verse number 11. They were washed, they were sanctified, and they were justified by Christ through salvation. So when Christ was accepted as their Savior, their sin debt was paid in full. And now when God looks at them, he doesn't see them as an idolater or an extortioner. He sees them as blood-bought and washed. Their sins have been forgiven. We see that in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, where now he sees the blood of Jesus Christ. This is why a saved person will never have to stand before God on Judgment Day and answer for all our sins. The debt has already been paid in full. You know, a lot of times we get up and think, well, God is going to judge us and He's going to show us all our sins on a screen. Not if you're saved, you're not. Your debt has been full, paid in full. Your sins have been paid in full, past, present, and future. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says that. Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15 says that. So what is Paul saying in this passage? He is saying this. Let me put it to you clear. He is saying, don't be fooled. The unrighteous will not inherit the inheritance of God unless they are washed, sanctified, and justified through salvation. And then he then turns the corner to bring together the entire context of the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 12. You say, what does 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 12 say? It says this right here. Let me read it to you. This is going to be fascinating when he turns the corner. He says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Here's what Paul's saying. Now that we are saved, just because we cannot be condemned to hell, that is no excuse to sin. 
Just because something is legal, it doesn't make it right. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says that we are bought with a price. So now that we have been bought, we should use our lives and our bodies to glorify God, not to practice sin. In fact, we see the same admonition given to the church of Galatia just before Paul gave another list of unrighteous acts in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, where we were basically same passage just a little bit ago, Paul warns them that it is possible to go back into the yoke of sin. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty with, with Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Just quoted that from memory. If I got it wrong, I'm sorry, but I'm pretty sure it's right. But um, it's impossible, or it is possible, to go back to the yoke of sin. Is it possible to lose their salvation? No. John chapter 10, verse 28 makes that very clear. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. But... It is possible to do these sins after salvation. How do I know? Well, go back to the li- go back to the sins listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 through 10. Then I ask you this. Have you coveted lately? Most people would answer yes. Um, he says idolaters. Have you set up an idol in your heart lately? Maybe self, money, hobbies, emotions? Have you stole anything after salvation? I have. Do you lose your salvation because of those? No. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. So here's what keeps us from the inheritance. What keeps us from the inheritance of God is not the unrighteous acts. It's whether or not we've accepted Christ as our Savior or if we've rejected Him. That's what keeps us from the inheritance. In accordance, Paul is reminding them that the grace and forgiveness they have received is not to be used as liberty to sin. Hopefully that makes sense to you and gives you an idea of what 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10 is talking about. The third verse, a passage that I see people bring up, and this is the last one we'll answer today, but the third passage I see people bring up rather fairly often is they will say, well, what about John chapter 15, verses 2 and 6? What about John chapter 15, verses 2 and 6? John chapter 15, verse 2 says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, He taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. And John chapter 15, verse 6 says, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. And I was surprised, honestly, to find this passage used by so many as a supposed proof of their theory. Guys like um, Trent Horn and Ken Staples, who are both relatively well-known Catholic apologists, and often hosts of a radio call-in show called Catholic Answers, they often use this as, in their arguments to say, well, this is a verse that proves you can lose your salvation. And it's an incredibly simple passage to understand when read in context. For sake of time, I'm not going to read the entire passage, but I'll paraphrase the story so we can dive into the answer. As we arrive in um, John and towards the end of the book of John, and John 12, 13, 14, 15, um, the, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. He has washed their feet. They have had the Last Supper. By this point, as up until uh, John chapter 15, before this has happened, before this is even said, Judas has already gone out into the night to begin the process of betrayal. And so as we arrive at John 15, Christ is teaching the apostles that are left, the 11 in this room, he's teaching them some final lessons. And one of these things he begins talking about is the vine and the branches, something they'd understood because 
Israel, by the way, was called a vineyard um, and vine many times in the Old Testament, but he begins talking about vine and branches. He starts in verse 1 of chapter 15 by saying, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. He was telling them that he was fulfilling the prophecies of Isaiah 11.1, of Zechariah 3, verse 8, Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12. Then he begins to, in verse number 2 through verses 6, he begins to give them something that they need to know. There are some who will claim to be of us that aren't really. You can tell them by their fruit. Fruit never lies. In fact, he had taught them a lesson on fruit before. Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, he said, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Now, someone may say that they are with you. We are with you. It's good to go. They are, I'm a saved. I'm a Christian. And Christ says, here's how you know. You'll know them by their fruits. Do they have the fruits of the Spirit? Are they producing fruit that a Christian should produce? You can tell who they really are by their fruit. And that's what Jesus is teaching them in this passage. There are some who say they are with you. There are some who say they are of Christ, but they really aren't, and they really never have been. The Apostle John, right? John the Beloved, who, by the way, the Bible says, had his head on the chest of Christ during this supper, was listening very intently. He learned very well what Christ was saying here in this upper room in John chapter 15. He says here, and uh, the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, he says this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. You say, I don't get it. Why would Jesus bring this up? Why would Jesus teach them this truth? Because just a few hours from now, Judah, Judas, who was supposed to be one of them, right? All the, all the disciples would say, he's one of us. Judas, in just a couple hours, would show them he really wasn't. And Jesus was telling them how this could be. How could it be that Judas would do this? And Jesus is telling them, because even though Judas claimed to be of them, he never really was. It's as simple as that. You say, so they did lose their salvation? No. Christ was teaching that they were never really saved to begin with. They went out from us because they were never of us. This passage has nothing to do with losing salvation. So those are answering the three biggest objections to the once saved, always saved crowd, like the Bible. And uh, But here's what I want to finish up with today. What is this? Why, why talk about this? Why is this an important subject? Why is this for a Baptist? It's a Baptist distinctive. It's part of our doctrinal statement that you cannot lose your salvation. What does it matter? What is it? What's eternal security do for you anyway? Here's what it does for you. It gives you hope. It gives you hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. When you have a biblical outlook, when you have a biblical view on any subject, do you know what it gives you? It gives you hope. Even in troubling times and difficulties of life, unlike the lost people who are just out there wandering and afraid of everything, unlike them, we have hope. We know our home is in heaven. It's settled. Jesus Christ is coming back for us. That gives us hope. Titus 2 verse 13 says, looking for that blessed hope 
and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 through 20 says, "...that my two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil." Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest after, even after the order of Melchizedek. Listen to me. The lost cannot and they do not have this hope. Ephesians 2.12 says that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. When we are without Christ, if you are lost, you have no hope. Here's why. You are always in fear of dying and going to hell. Here's what happens when we begin to make this eternal security. is Oh, that's just an opinion. That's just a preference. You can lose your salvation. Here's what happens. When we begin to remove the eternal security of the believer, we at a minimum, at a minimum, call God a liar, contradict the Word of God, and remove the hope that God intends for you to have. That's a minimum, and that makes it a pretty big deal. If we call God a liar, we contradict the Word of God, and we remove the hope that God intends for you to have. Can I just finish on this subject again with God making it very clear? John chapter 10, verse 28. And I give unto them eternal, meaning it never stops. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never, never, they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. It doesn't get any more clear than that. My friend, there is hope, and you can have that when you know that once I get saved, I'm always saved. I can lay my head on the pillow at night, not having to worry. Did I lose my salvation at some point today? No. Why? Because it's impossible. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. That is hope. My friend, lay hold of that hope. And while you do, keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ.